Oh, hey, there we are. Hey. All hey. right. Hey. Hey. What's up? Just living my best life, you That's know? right. That stash life, yo. May I say, it's all about the stash. <laughs> this is, the, this is a, the, the facial hair of a man with confidence, Jeff. I love that what started as a mistake is now a personal identity. <laughs> I know. I know. Why haven't I gotten rid of it yet? Well, uh, we'll see. We'll see what happens. <laughs> Who knows? Welcome to Talking Heads, everyone. Episode 236, your once-weekly live show for the latest in beer and tech news. I'm Jeff. And I'm Rhett. Welcome to the show, everyone. Thank you all so much for joining us on this Wednesday night or in podcast form over on Anchor.fm or wherever your favorite podcasts are found. If you've never seen the show before, we talk beer, we talk tech, we talk games, pop culture, entertainment, usually some Star Trek. We do read all Super Chats on the air, so long as they will not permanently demonetize the channel. We drink alcohol on the show, and if you're drinking along with us, alcoholic or not, let us know in the chat, and we'll give some early show shoutouts as we go along. Last but not least, if you'd like to take part in the super secret chat and the even more super secret after party, think about joining the Patreon. Link is down in the video description. As a bonus, you'll get exclusive access to the Discord server, where you can chat with myself, John, Rhett, Steve, all the hosts from Talking Heads, and take part in the awesome community that hangs out over there. Well said. Couldn't have said it better myself. And guys, I love the Patreon so much that I myself am a member. So, you know, all he works perks. for me and he still doesn't get in for free. <laughs> and I wouldn't have it any other way. It is a privilege and an honor to pay my one dollar a month. Yeah, yeah he, he caps out the dollar, though. No, no, no premium tier for him. Yeah, yeah. And screw that. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. It's going on like $17 of lifetime contributions. <laughs> I've been a member for like five years. Okay? Yeah, but half the time it doesn't go through. We know that. That's, that's true. <laughs> Everyone's like, where's Red on the Discord? It's just like, eh, payment didn't go through. Overdrew yeah. my bank account. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, I posted on Twitter. It, it definitely feels like Wednesday, but like Wednesday next week. <laughs> Well, you know, what's been happening to me is for the last two months, I've been like, oh, crap, it's Wednesday again. I mean, uh, you haven't been. I, so I usually I when I'm when I'm setting up the show, I will go back and I will copy the last time that the person hosted. So we have the most up to date, you know, placard for for the show. You haven't hosted since March 2nd. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah, it's been two months because I, I, I passed almost on my three. last two. It, it's yeah, almost oh my June. God, you're right. It's almost June. <laughs> well, you, so yeah. You were the, one so week last... shy of 12 weeks. So I, I did my March 2nd. I skipped my next one. I skipped my next one. Yeah. And here we are. So and here we are. Yeah. I, um, well, it sucks because, you know, being on the show is fun. Yeah. But uh, yeah, like, ah, man, Wednesday has become like the most claustrophobic day on my entire schedule. <laughs> and so sometimes daddy's got to step away, but uh, I am happy to be here today. Although if I had remembered at the beginning of the week that I was on, I probably would have asked uh, John to do it for me or somebody. <laughs> <laughs> so here we are at a pure obligation and joy and excitement to see all of your smiling faces, of course, too. Yes, so. virtually or otherwise. Glad to have you on the show. Uh, hopefully we get back in studio tomorrow. That'd be nice. Yes. Oh God, yeah. <laughs> uh, it's been a it's been a weird 
weird couple of weeks. But yeah, let's get this show on the road. Uh, see, going through, we got Cody drinking a Captain Morgan and Coke. Always a fantastic choice. Uh, you doing a traditional spiced? Or are you doing like a white? Or what do you got going with that Coke? Uh, I usually... My usual go-to for a rum and coke is actually not a spice rum. I like going with a white rum. Uh, white rum, little squeeze of lime, uh, and sometimes add some, some like Angostura bitters to it. It's a fantastic little kicker for it. Good stuff. Sounds delightful. Uh, Alice having a Creature Comforts Brewing Coco Booney. Coco Buni? Bunai? Bunai? Uh, Coco Bunny. Coco Bunny. Coco Bunny. There we go. Uh, milk porter. Uh, it's nice, silky smooth porter with sweet notes. Excellent. Uh, some people saying Rhett's mic is a little low. Let me bump that up. Sorry, John's is usually slightly hot, and I still had the audio set to him, so that should be better now. Uh, Novella's got a Treehouse Brewing Trick Double IPA, 8.3%. Skull broke out a 2018 Bourbon County Stout. My Must man. be a special occasion. My man. Feeling that same claustrophobia kind of day, so this should help relieve that. I, I hope it does. Here's to that, Skull. Uh, we've also had a couple greetings from around the world. We got a couple good afternoons in Australia. I just saw a hi. Greetings from Argentina. It's 12 a.m. Hello, Roberto. Glad you could join us. Uh, Magic Rats got a Jameson and Ginger. That is one of my favorite. Go to a bar that I don't know. And you know what? Scotch and Ginger or Irish and Ginger or, you know, whatever the the flavor of the day is. Love me. Love me some whiskey and ginger. Yep. Uh, We did have one quick question uh, that I I found kind of intriguing. Um, Hold on. Hold on. Where was it at? Something about X86. I can't oh, remember yeah. what it was. Hi, bros. Question. X86 versus ARM desktop in future. Uh, in the future, I think we're going to be seeing a lot more ARM. Uh, with Apple and NVIDIA both going full bore into it. Um, this is going to come off a little controversial, I'm sure. Um but the future is absolutely in software, not necessarily in hardware. Now, what I mean by that is think about the revelations that have started taking place over the last two years. So so think of the M1 MacBook coming out. 35-watt TDP, 35-watt chip that runs as fast, single-core, as an 11900K and a 5950X in a lot of workloads, even being translated from native x86 into ARM. Now I know that the M1 bakes in a lot of the x86 instructions natively, or at least has native translation on it. Uh, But uh, that's really impressive for a, a first outing on the desktop side of things from Apple using ARM chips. Uh, You look at NVIDIA wanting to dive into the ARM space, at one point trying to buy ARM outright. Uh, 
realizing that it's probably going to be a major player over the next three to five years, more so than just in the mobile phone market, because we all have ARM chips at home and they look a lot like this. Uh, but ARM on the data center side of things and then on the desktop side of things is going to be big and NVIDIA wanted to be a part of that. Uh, last but not least, let's take a look at SteamOS and the translation and uh, uh, transition efforts that are going on to make the hardware and operating system kind of a secondary point to just being able to run software as fast as possible. You have here a Linux kernel based on Arch that with a couple of additives like Proton and DXVK and, and Wine and so on and so forth is running Windows binaries at native speed on a non-native kernel. Uh, that is freaking insane. Um, so if you just look at the potential of like running that wine proton secret sauce, which by the way is all open source, uh, that, that proton secret sauce, uh, on let's say, uh, an M1 studio Mac, uh, which I would say in the next year is probably going to be possible. You could literally run any software that you wanted on an M1 Mac, Windows, Linux, Mac, x86, ARM, doesn't matter. I think the future is in software. And I think there's going to be enough compatibility with hardware that I think there's going to be room for just about everyone to live in. There we go. Interesting thoughts. Well put. All right. Uh, now let's really get the show underway. Uh, the best part of every Wednesday, the best part of waking up. Uh, what are we drinking tonight? <laughs> okay. Well, um, sorry, I forgot I'm, some people have to work. <laughs> yeah. Who does that? <laughs> right. Um, I can go first because mine's going to be a little underwhelming. As Jeff knows, I've been, a, a, you know, keeping keeping to myself this week. Yeah. Uh, so I wasn't able to replenish my, my beer stocks the way that I was hoping to. So I'm drinking an old standby. Might be a little basic to some, but if you're looking for a nice, cheap, drinkable beer, oh, no. it's a... It's not a Rainier. <laughs> it's a Michelob Amberbach. It's a dark lager. Okay. Um, okay. I think it's like 5%. It's, I don't know. Uh, I could have 5.1%. So yeah, it's a nice, easy, drinkable beer. It's a dark lager. So it's got extra flavor where most other Michelobes don't. So mm -hmm. um, one of my go-to standbys, usually if it's on tap at a pizza place, this is what I might get a picture of for uh, me and the homies. So there you go. You know, I, I have one main rule, and it's uh, usually doesn't apply to this, but I don't kink shame. Like, like whatever whatever you like in the privacy of your own home is is your own business. And uh, darn it, if you want an Am uh, Michelob Amberbach, go for it, my man. <laughs> I appreciate that. <laughs> no problem. Uh, so I've got a couple different beers. I think I'm going to start with... Ooh. I think I'm going to start with this one. Uh, so this is from Second Profession Brewing out of Portland, Oregon. Uh, it is the Space Flamingo Hazy IPA. 
Uh, 7.4%, so a nice, nice middle ground IPA. Uh, I've not had anything from Second Profession before. Uh, I believe they're a fairly new brewery. I think they just started in like 2020 or 2021. Uh, great time to start a, <laughs> a beer business. Uh, when you're trying to get discovered and, hey, come to our bar and, oh, right. Yeah. Uh, I will say for a hazy, ain't that hazy. He doesn't like hazies, guys. So I love hazies. <laughs> I just wish more of them were better. You're like those Star Wars fans. You're like, I love Star Wars, but I only like two of the movies. <laughs> That's right. I love hazies, but I've only ever had two good ones. <laughs> Actually, no, you've been there and you've been editing some of my more recent beer reviews. You know, I've kind of turned a corner on hazies as hazies themselves have kind of turned a corner over the last year. Yeah, I, I think that that's true. It's kind of, we're seeing a faster evolution in some craft beers compared to like 10 years ago. Oh, definitely. 10 years ago, you know, everybody's like, hey, you know what our craft beer is? It's an IPA. And you know what distinguishes it from the other one? It's hoppier. Like yep. that was it, you know? Uh, I, IBUs was the talk of the town in yeah. 2012. Yeah. It was exactly. how bitter can we make our IPA? That yeah. was the distinguishing thought and uh you know as but, now everyone now, can can make a you know a bitter dank ipa at least a lot of people try right and so yeah exactly now i i feel like the playing field of just basic ipas is beginning to become more and more diverse just because we kind of reached that critical mass with uh with hoppiness and all these other things now there's some actual like complex distinct diverse ipas and the same thing i think happened with hazies it was like how hazy can we make this but now yeah they're rounding a corner there's a lot of good ones and and i think you nailed it with the evolution has really accelerated in in the craft beer game because let's face it the ipa craft game really started in the late 90s uh and and then kind of slowly like evolved in, into you know your your west coast and your your northwest especially ipas and, and whatnot and everyone kind of had an ipa but it was like yeah it's six percent and you know it's bitter like it, you like hops here you go yeah. uh but then they started getting more and more hops into it and, and like you said, started to give more nuance, but that whole evolution took like 15 years before it like finally really developed into its own unique style. Yeah. Um, with hazies, you know, you have your, your original, you have your, uh, your alchemist, uh, and, and a couple other of the, like the godfathers of hazies. Um, but it wasn't until like, gosh, like 2017, 18, that the new England or the milkshake style IPA, uh, kind of hit and there were like three or four different ways of doing it, but they were all just like these trying to be super, super thick, um, lactose added, uh, yeah. bombs and they were so acidic and, and to me, drinking one of those hazies was a lot like people who really don't like hoppy things trying like a sticky hands from <laughs> from block yeah. 15. It was like, <laughs> oh, my God, why would you drink that? Yeah. Um, but in those like four short years since they really started taking off, 
all of a sudden they've turned a corner and they've gone, you know what? There are some flavor profiles in here that we can really push towards and develop. And now we're getting these amazing, thick, juicy, flavorful, diverse, evolutionary, you know, beers that are, yeah, they're hazy IPAs, but they're so much more complex and so much better now in a very short amount of time. Yeah. Well, it's interesting when you think about beer, at least within like recent history or semi-recent history, it's like a hundred years ago, every city had its own brewer, mm-hmm. you know, and you were getting distinct flavors, like based on things that we've talked about before, like water and local ingredients and things like this, you know, your local water source was very important. I mean, Salem had its own, you know, I, I think it was just what, like Salem brewery or something like yeah. that, you know? And, um, uh, and then everything kind of got gobbled up, I feel like, by the big, or at least dominated. And maybe this is just a misconception by me. I don't know. I'm not a historian of beer, but it seemed like everything got dominated by the major beer players. You, of course, had beer beer, which was like everybody taking their dredges out of the bottom of their barrels and combining them and selling them so that they could make a profit off of the stuff that was otherwise unsellable. Um and now we're back to every city has a brewery, a dozens mm-hmm. of breweries. Um, so I think it's kind of neat. It's, it's, I don't know, it, beer, I don't know how interesting beer was 100 years ago, but it's certainly gotten pretty exciting within the last, you know, like you said, 30 years or so. Yeah. And it's not just IPAs and, and things like that that have really, no. I think, Stouts changed. have exploded. Porters have done really well. Um I mean, obviously the hazies, but there's there's not really a style that hasn't been touched by this. Um, outside you know, of your your lager, your pilsner, and you go back to like your old English styles, like your yeah. your ESBs and your Irish reds and things like that. Um, so yeah, there's still some very traditional styles out there, and you know, or the the German purists and and whatnot. But uh, yeah, it's uh, it's a lot of fun to to be able to witness the evolution of all of this. Yeah. Uh, Alice even said something in the super chat here that I was going to mention, which is that like even loggers have kind of had a craft beer broom, a boom in a way. Like they have, and it's kind of, and that's one of my fun ones to sample is when somebody has a logger and it stands out, you know, it's a good log. Right. Um, but anyway, we could read those super chats if you want. Yeah. Uh, that's what I was trying to transition into. <laughs> I, had to, I had to jump into it. I know. American Cosworth sums over $5. Thank you very much. Good, sir. Uh, nice Stalin stash, Rhett. Did you know that Stalin's granddaughter lives in Portland? Uh, yes, actually, I did. I'd heard that. Uh, Alice sends over $5. Again, very, uh, very thank you. Much words hard uh, <laughs> to Alice. Uh, the big irony of craft brewing is that the type of beer in which the biggest flex WRT brewing skill is light lagers, incredibly demanding to do well. And yeah, it's because lagers, kind of like I alluded to with the German purity kind of thing, there is so little that you can do to them and still be able to call it a lager. It is one of the purest forms of beer making. And to bring out flavors that are number one, any good at all, and number two, that are actually intentional, yeah, uh, is kind of this mad scientist kind of thing, you know. Because I feel like loggers are one that can kind of get skunked up pretty easily, oh, right? Like, oh, yes. 
So they're yeah, also like... lagers themselves because they're a very clear beer because they're, um, I mean, think of a Corona that's been left out in the sun for 30 minutes. It's already skunky. Yeah. Uh, delicious. Think, think of any, any domestic lager, you know, you've got your Miller, you've got your, the primary, right. You, you've the got original, your, baby. You've, your primary nose on those. If they've been opened for more than about 20 minutes is boy, that's a little, little off isn't it that's yeah. still a coors you know yeah, and you just drink it anyway me. right they boiled it right right it's got <laughs> alcohol it's self-sanitizing yeah not at 4.2 percent. it's not yeah that's why they boil the water first jeff mm-hmm. it's good well wait, yeah, wait. i kinda... thought coors was was brewed cold to to maintain that rocky mountain freshness well after they boil the water sure <laughs> boy i've been lied to i've been lied I, th- I thought it was cold from the very beginning yeah uh, I don't know. Maybe. I guess we're gonna have to go on a tour of the 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 where that Rocky Mountain Spring is and find out for ourselves. We'll follow the water from the source. <laughs> follow the old shaman to the Rocky Mountain Spring. <laughs> yeah, we'll get his dousing rod out there, just like okay, well here we go. Oh, it's right here, and they still deliver it with the, uh, you know, the big horses. Or is yeah. that Budweiser? No, that's I don't Budweiser. Know. Yeah. Okay, well I tried. At least it's what the Super Bowl tells us. That's you know those horses actually came to Mount Angel once for the Oktoberfest. Yep. Yep. The Clydesdales, yeah, they were there. Cool. So anyway, <laughs> all right, uh, let's go ahead and dive into the news. Uh, so we will be getting into some AMD and some Nvidia talk uh, for. Uh, sorry, one sec. Realized I didn't have a window open here. Uh, in. Cool. Very short order. Uh, figure we hit that about the 30-minute mark. But there is one really cool thing that I wanted to hit before we get to that. And it partially has to do with right to repair and availability of parts. Uh, now, follow me through this, okay? So, framework, the laptop. Uh, uh, the open-source laptop company that wants to be repairable, open source, you can modify it, you can build it, you can do whatever you want to it. Um, Linus Sebastian himself has invested in this. Uh, The cool thing about availability of parts is you don't even necessarily need to buy the parts just as replacement parts for a laptop. So you bought a framework laptop. Oh no, the motherboard died. You can go and buy a replacement motherboard. Well, guess what? There's nothing stopping anyone from the street from just buying that motherboard and using it for other means. Think of the automotive industry. Yeah, if I want an LS7 engine or a, you know, uh, something like that, I can go buy a Camaro today. Or I can literally order direct from Chevy a crate LS7 engine because it's a readily available part. I can order all the the components to it, all the accessories, the belt drive, everything. I can order chassis from them. I, there's so many things that you can do. And you can also get all those things third party from other developers who maybe improved elements of it, who, you know, make better parts, who... Uh, so right to repair is more than just being able to repair your device. It's being able to make new things from existing parts because those parts are now available. Uh, case in point, uh, the framework motherboard has been very popular in the hacking scene for the last couple of months, particularly because 
it is so darn small and it's actually very dense in the way it's populated. Um, now there is a niche community of makers that like to build cyber decks. A cyber deck is not a laptop. It is more often than not a slate or as tiny of a wearable as you can, just in order to get like terminal functionality. Uh, so think of the movie Hackers when they had like that, that nine and a half inch, you know, Procera Apple laptop or whatever. Uh, that's more the style of, of a, of a cyber deck. Well, uh, someone in the community took one of those framework laptop motherboards and built a transparent cyber deck with a full mechanical keyboard and a trackball built into the center of it. It is fully functional, has a seven inch screen, 1024 by 600 resolution. Um, sure, it'll run Windows or whatever else, but why would you run Windows on something like this? You got to throw some kind of Linux out there and it, it's just got to be terminal based. Like it just has to be. <laughs> um, but because of the availability of parts, because Framework is a right to repair company, he was able to grab a, a motherboard off the shelf drop it into his own design and open source these parts and you can build one of these yourselves now. Just like, you know, you want to build a race car. Well, guess what? You can buy an LS engine. You can buy a big block Ford. You can buy a Hemi Dodge. You can buy so many different things, crate from the manufacturers because the parts are available. Secondly, the thing that I wanted to show you was one that I'm super interested in. And that is the framework laptop motherboard, but in a Fallout style terminal with a round LCD. This one is cool. Nice. <laughs> this one is super cool. Uh, the idea of a round LCD, like, I don't know what I would do with it. It's not practical. There's no applications that are written for it. Uh, if anything, you're going to end up cropping out, like, the edges of your display. You're not going to be able to maximize a window. Uh but it just looks so freaking cool. <laughs> like it's it's not practical at all, but I love it. Uh, so here is a Fallout style round terminal. Uh, and again, the parts and schematics and build and 3D printed STLs are all fully open source over on GitHub. So if you wanted to build one of these for yourself, go buy a framework motherboard and uh, all the other parts that you need for it, put it together. Gorgeous. Love it. So what if Apple was forced to abide by right to repair? By true right to repair of availability of parts, you have to sell the parts like the automotive industry does. Can you imagine taking an M1 processor off the shelf and like uh, an M1 Mac mini and doing something like Quinn uh, from Snazzy Labs did and building his like super tiny Mac mini, uh, just being able to build one of those for yourself. Uh, can you imagine, uh, you know, all, all the cool things that Apple does, like buying like an iPad motherboard and building your own custom designed tablet uh, and, you know, not even going that far, but instead of buying... Gosh, uh, think of like the Hades Canyon Nook, which is uh, from a number of years ago. But I've always looked back at that particular system, which for those of you who don't remember, is the bastard child of Intel and AMD that has an i7-8800 processor, mobile processor, with 
a 24 CU Vega graphic chip embedded into it with HBM memory. It is the weirdest freaking chip ever. Uh, I've always wanted one. I keep looking on eBay, but because graphics prices shot up right about the time that they should have been dropping down to like the $300 range for a, a good a good unit, they shot back up. So they're still $600 today. Um, but man, yeah, the i7-8809G. If I could just buy that motherboard and, and off I go building my own custom Steam machine or whatever else now that SteamOS 3.0 is out, that's a pretty cool thing. And not having to buy the entire PC if all if your entire plan is just to rip it apart and take the one part that you want out of it. Right. Yeah, it kind of harkens back to like the like golden age of computing, like before everything kind of became enclosed and everybody sort of circled the wagons. Like you had really, really robust open source communities. Yeah. And people were soldering their own circuit boards and passing along those, you know, to other people in their groups, you know, uh, via whatever means existed back then. Who knows? Carrier pigeon or telegram or something. I don't know. But, uh, you know, I don't know. You hear people talk about those days and it's it's kind of fun because it's so long ago, it's like kind of seems hokey and antiquated. But uh, there's really no reason it shouldn't be like that with every part. You know, and I think a lot of people... I don't know, maybe they're sated enough being able to go on Newegg and buy whatever they want and build a desktop or whatever. But, you know, there's so much more to computing and things like that these days than just having a powerful desktop. I mean, right. size is no longer a real limitation. You know, like we can and should be building things that are smaller and more efficient. So. I mean, I remember back in the day when having a gigantic desktop was like a sign of prestige at the LAN parties, but that's just like not the case anymore. So hauling in a Gateway 2000 on its own pallet. <laughs> like, yes, exactly. Oh, so that's that's pretty cool. Yep. Yeah. So like I said, food for thought on on right to repair as a whole. Uh, promise one more thing, and then we'll get into the, uh, the Computex news, but every show has to have a sponsor, and you all know our sponsor. We love them around here. Today's video is brought to you by, if I can click on the right button, Linode. If you've ever needed to host your own servers, whether it be for home or business use, but don't have the resources to invest into hardware, power, cooling, time, or even space, why not let Linode host them for you? If it runs on Linux, it'll run on Linode. That includes the tutorials from my channel, like how to run your own ad-blocking recursive DNS server, VPN gateway, your own cloud-based Plex server, and more. We shared CPU plans starting at as little as $5 per month and scaling up to as high as you need to go. You'll be able to find a hosting plan that fits your needs. And even if you do host your own servers, you can use Linode to keep a backup off-site. Because remember, RAID is not a backup. Linode also recently announced they are the first alternative cloud provider to have NVMe block storage available to all customers. Back in September, they began rolling out NVMe drives to all 11 of their global data centers. Best of all, storage rates will remain at the same low price they always have been. Visit linode.com craftcomputing and get a $100 60-day credit just for signing up for a new account. That's linode.com craftcomputing and thanks again to Linode for sponsoring today's episode. Thanks, Linode. Thank you. Thank you. 
Thank you, Linode. All right. Well, I... when you Linode, you Linode. <laughs> All right, that was stupid. We're, we're workshopping that one. <laughs> uh, Rhett, I really like them as a sponsor. <laughs> I don't know, man. I think I'm going to start seeing that on some T-shirts pretty soon. I mean, that really, I feel you'll like know, revolutionized. You'll know. <laughs> That's uh, t-shirt worthy. T-shirt worthy. You know, I'll talk to him about that. I, you know what? Why don't I handle it? Yeah. I don't think you're going to handle it with the amount of finesse that this requires. <laughs> finesse and grace. <laughs> we need a lighter touch, Jeff. <laughs> uh, all right. Let's go ahead and jump into some Computex news. So, Rhett, this is going to be one down on your your notes. We'll circle back to this this story and other. So we're gonna yeah, we're gonna do AMD, Nvidia, and then circle back. Copy. All right. Uh, so Computex was this week, uh, and for the third year in a row, is primarily virtual. Uh, obviously, I'm not in Taipei. Uh, I was planning to go to Taipei in 2020 thinking about it <laughs> was definitely going to go in 2021 <laughs> here we are in 2022 uh yeah so primarily virtual uh if you wanted to go to taipei you had a mandatory seven day quarantine which again still probably totally necessary traveling to another part of the world uh the way the pandemic is still going on but I digress. Uh, AMD held their press conference on Sunday night, Monday morning here. Uh, and Ryzen 5000, or excuse me, Ryzen 7000 series, I was a year behind. Ryzen 7000 series uh, is officially official. Uh, this is going to be based on the new 5 nanometer process from TSMC. Uh, Ryzen 7000 based on Zen 4 architecture. Uh, as part of this shift, they are also unveiling a new socket. So gone is AM4, at least for new chips. Uh, and in comes AM5, which for the first time in a consumer AMD CPU, at least dating back to like the 486, 586 days, uh, I guess K6, K7 were also pinned. Okay, no, not for the first time. I, I, I spoke without thinking. Uh, for the first time in a long time. Uh, no, sorry, those were all still pin-based. What I'm trying to say is they're no longer <laughs> PGA, they're now LGA mount chips, which if you know what that means, uh, Intel has been LGA for quite some time. That means the pads are on the CPU and the pins are on the socket. AMD used to be the other way around. So now they're going like this instead of like this. Make sense? Good. Uh, <laughs> that was way too difficult to get out. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure the rest of this will go swimmingly. I think uh, we got it. We got it. We got this. Uh, so... Uh, the new platform, again, based on 5 nanometer process, will still be up to 16 cores and 32 threads, like the 5950X from the Zen 3 uh, process. However, we are going to be seeing, again, a 15% single-threaded improvement per clock. That is a 15% IPC uplift. 
uh, over the Zen 3 architecture. We're also going to be seeing significant frequency improvements as well as they demoed frequency boost of up to five and a half gigahertz. Uh, up from the, I think 4.8 is the current high for Zen 3. Now you can overclock it to somewhere around 5.0, sometimes 5.1 on some really good chips. Uh, but the 5950X really is more comfortable right around that uh, that 4.8 to 5 gigahertz uh, line. Okay, what I was trying to say is for the first time in a consumer socket, so I was right the first time, is... LGA is coming to AMD uh, because Opteron has had LGA for quite some time, as has Threadripper. Threadripper has always been an LGA style socket. Uh, but uh, yeah, Opteron socket F. There's also, uh, gosh, whatever that other socket was. Trying to Don't remember. Look there, at me, there, dude. there was another. Yeah, I wasn't looking at you. I was staring <laughs> off into space. I've spent too much time on pins. Let's get to the good stuff. Uh, so uh, this is going to be using obviously uh, all new chiplets. These are five nanometer chiplets. There's going to be two chiplets per CPU. Uh, and if we pull up the Lisa Sue patented holding the chip in her hand, uh, we can see one chiplet and two chiplet there. Uh, you'll also notice the I.O. die uh, is in the very familiar location uh, as compared to the AM4 chips. Uh, what is different is the capacitors have been moved from the back of the chip onto the front. And so you get kind of a unique look on the on the top side of the die. Um, now, this I.O. die is fairly interesting because what AMD has done in the past is they have used the previous node. Uh, so... For uh, Zen 3, when they went, to, or Zen 2, when they went to chiplets, uh, was it Zen 2 or Zen 3? I don't remember. Uh, last time they went to chiplets, they used the previous gen uh, fab. So it was a 14 millimeter IO uh, with 7 nanometer chiplets. And then they improved that and it went to a 12 nanometer IO with still 7 nanometer chiplets. Uh, well, instead of using that, 7 nanometer fab, they've actually gone to a custom TSMC node with 6 nanometer fabrication. Uh, so this is a brand new fabrication, brand new architecture for the IO die. Uh, and it has some pretty interesting features in its own right. Uh, let's go through that. So the new IO die has PCI Express 5.0 and DDR5 support, and it looks like every single AM5 CPU will be getting some form of AMD RDNA2 graphics. So some form of integrated graphics. Now, to be clear, they're not necessarily saying that every single chip is going to be an APU because Intel has been using XE and, and Iris Pro graphics for integrated for the last year and a half or so. But that doesn't mean every single Intel chip is a gaming chip. Um, remember things like the the Athlon 3000 chip, uh, which is a dual core four threaded CPU, also has Vega integrated graphics, but only three compute units on it. And that's because it's just meant for basic video output. Uh, now it has all the same tech baked into it, all the same DirectX 12 and Vulkan compatibility and everything else, uh, but it is a significantly cut down version uh, and really won't run games. Uh, 
So I'm expecting something similar to that there, something similar to, you know, Intel integrated graphics, where if you need to plug a keyboard or a, a monitor into it to just get video out, let's say your video card dies or you're waiting on a video card, or you need to validate a system before moving on to a, a more complex build, or like me, you throw four headless graphics cards into a system and you just want one video output on it. Uh, hey, you can do that now. <laughs> Um, yeah, uh, let's see what else. The new AM5 socket also includes support for up to 170 watts of power delivery. Now, uh, I did, uh, I did do a lot of reading from various media outlets. I've not personally been in contact with AMD about this announcement. I've been reading the same articles that you have. Um, I also watched, uh, Ian Cutteris, uh, Tech Tech Potatoes video, where he confirmed with AMD that this is not necessarily the new TDP peak for CPUs. That is, the CPUs are not going to be rated for 170 watts. This is the potential power output or the potential power design of the socket, where AM4 had a potential power design of 142 watts, but the CPUs were capped at 125 as far as out of the box. Now, you could certainly overclock them, but not a lot of them went much above that. Uh, so higher wattage capability of the socket might in turn lead to higher uh, thermal and power capacity inside the CPUs themselves. But that is not confirmed. And at this time, AMD is only saying it's potential. We're not, <laughs> that, that's not what we designed it for though. Uh, the good news about the AM5 socket is that all AM4 coolers will still work. It's the same mounting point and presumably the same Z height and offset for the CPU. So you can take your old whatever cooler that you had, slap it on your new AM5 motherboard. You're good to go. No adapters or brackets or anything else necessary, uh, which is always good news when trying to transition platforms. Uh, let's see what else here. Uh, new motherboards are going to be coming out for the AM5 socket. There are actually three announced chipsets, and we could probably guess what the fourth chipset will be later on down the line. Uh, starting with X570E, and this is not necessarily a motherboard that's going to be designed for your standard desktop gamer, although I'm sure, you know, fans of buying the EVGA Dark just to slap a, an all-in-one liquid cooler on it will probably buy these right up. Uh, this is for like extreme overclocking. Uh, this is the cream of the crop. This is the no compromise, nothing but all out speed, exotic cooling support. Uh, that's X570E. There's your standard X570, which is going to be your traditional high-end consumer platform. Uh, both of those platforms include support for PCI Express 5.0. Uh, I believe the B650, which is your standard consumer platform, which still supports overclocking in XMP and DDR5, I believe will still only support PCI Express 4.0, although I need to clarify that. I've, I've seen kind of conflicting reports of that. Um, so yeah. That was pretty much the big announcement from AMD. 
Oh, one more thing. Uh, the CPUs have 24 PCI Express lanes, so same number of PCI Express 4.0 lanes from Zen 3. Moving on to Zen 4. Uh, much higher support for USB, though. We're seeing up to 14 uh, USB Type-C 20 gigabit ports built into the chipset. Um, or at least uh, lanes available for them if you have the USB-C controllers downstream. So hopefully we'll be seeing motherboards with a lot higher USB-C adoption as we move forward because nothing's more frustrating than buying five or six or seven new USB-C peripherals and only having two or maybe three USB-C ports on your board. Uh, so yeah, that's... Uh, AM5 and AMD's new chipset in a nutshell. Be interesting to keep our eyes on. Yeah. Uh, this is slated for a late Q3, early Q4 release. Uh, so likely sometime early fall, uh, September, October, maybe be pushed to November, but somewhere right in line with there. Um, so definitely something to keep your eye on uh, by the end of 2022. Uh, depending on what Intel puts out, this may end up being the new fastest CPU ever. So, what we didn't hear about was any new graphics cards from either team, from any team. Intel just flat out wasn't there. They didn't even do a Computex announcement. Uh, AMD said, yeah, we're putting RDNA 2 into some of our desktop CPUs just to serve as integrated graphics, but nothing fun. And NVIDIA said, hey, we've got some new stuff, but it's all for data centers. <laughs> uh, starting with, NVIDIA is creating, speaking of ARM and supercomputing and the future of the desktop, and I think it's in software, not in hardware, uh, NVIDIA announced a 144-core Grace CPU supercomputer chip uh, that will be hitting in the first half of 2023, so sometime Q1 or Q2 2023. Uh, this is a CPU that they've teased for about the last six to eight months or so. Uh, it is obviously an ARM base, but it is an NVIDIA custom design meant for hyperscale data center computing. Um, they basically introduced a new reference design with some of their partners. Uh, so they have uh, Gigabyte, Asus, and... Gosh, I... Oh, Asus Gigabyte Supermicro. There we go. Uh, on board. And uh, they were all showing off new 2U reference designs, which you can kind of see the, the layout of them down here. Um, there's their CGX, their OVX, HGX, and HGX tuned for AI. Uh, are kind of the four layouts, and you can see a, a variant of different Tesla or A100, H100 graphics cards, uh, both using NVLink or PCI Express for their interface. Now, you might have noticed there, what's an H100? I'm glad you asked. The H100 is the new supercomputing graphics king, uh, based on Hopper, a previously unknown... Uh, NVIDIA GPU microarchitecture. Uh, this is going to be using a custom TSMC 4 nanometer node. And let's just say it is going to be the thing to beat 
even with like dual A100s. Now we've been hearing rumblings that NVIDIA 4000 series is going to be two things. One, up to twice as fast. Uh, and we're including like the 3090 and 3090 Ti in that. Both of which have like 8192 and 10,400 CUDA cores or something like that. Uh, which on the architecture is is a lot. That's a lot more than they've included in, in previous uh, NVIDIA architectures like Turing or even Volta. Uh, but Hopper, oh boy, Hopper is going to have 18,400, uh, 432 uh, CUDA cores and 576 tensor cores. Now we've seen that number of tensor cores before uh, in uh, designs like the T100 from the Turing architecture. Um, but the A100 had 8,192 CUDA cores and 512 tensor cores. Uh, that's the first thing we've been hearing is up to twice as fast. And the numbers that we're seeing, well, they're more than double the CUDA core count. And if the Pascal to Ampere, I'm kind of excluding Turing there because Turing was a stopgap. Uh, the Pascal to Ampere has any bearing on the architecture, that and the FinFET drop from six down to four, uh, it may just be twice as fast. However, 700 watts. <laughs> this GPU thermal design and power design is 700 watts. Now, there's been some meme posts out there of... <laughs> Like like a 5U or a 5-slot graphics card that comes with its own power supply and AC120 input. That may not actually be that unrealistic. I would love to see a company like EVGA, which makes power supplies, come out with like a, hey, here's a power supply for your computer, and here's one built yeah. into the new For the Win card. <laughs> I want to see it so bad. <laughs> Make sure you hook these up to two different circuits in your house. Yeah. So much for redundant power supplies. Now you have dual power supplies. Yeah. 700 watts just for the GPU. <coughs> now, so far, we don't know much more about the new Hopper architecture. We also don't know if this is... Lovelace renamed, or if Lovelace will still be the next consumer offering and Hopper will be more like a stopgap like Volta was, where we only ever saw a Titan V based on Volta for kind of the consumer range, but that was still a $2,000 GPU. Uh, and we also saw the, uh, the Tesla V100 for data center which was based on Volta, but that's really the only cards that we ever got in that series. Uh, Hopper may end up being something along those lines where it's it's a stopgap that shares some some architecture with, uh, with Loveless, but isn't necessarily architecturally compatible or the same. Because uh, we got Volta, but then all of a sudden we got Turing, which also dropped RTX cores and tensor cores onto the mainstream market, which had... Obviously, RTX was a new development, and Turing hadn't previously 
or Tensor hadn't previously been done on consumer cards. You had to buy Quadra or Teslas to get that. Uh, so very interesting and kind of a sneak peek glimpse into the future of data center GPU. Oh, by the way, the H100 also includes 80 gigabytes of HBM3. So you want to talk about bandwidth for days, three terabytes per second memory bandwidth on the H100. Drop in the bucket. Oh God. man. So, uh, Let's just say I can't wait to get that into my cloud gaming system. Like, <laughs> I was just thinking, man, if I could just borrow to it, super micro, we'll talk, we'll talk, we'll, we'll make this happen. All right. Uh, in other NVIDIA news, there wasn't really a lot um, on the consumer front side of things. Uh, 12 new games are getting DLSS, so dynamic super sampling, uh, where you can render at 1080p and upscale it to 4k uh which is cool uh but it also shows the downside of dlss as a technology because you have to apply machine learning to the game so it knows how to ups upscale that game in particular whereas fsr from amd uh especially with fsr 2.0 we're seeing a lot of lot of implementation even some open source implementation of fsr in games or even just with wrappers uh, that do a pretty darn good job of upscaling. Now, it's not quite as accurate, but it might get to the point where, man, if I could just upscale textures, like, and, and all of a sudden reduce the amount of video memory that I need, or, uh, you know, GPU compute time needed to, to texture all of my polygons, that's certainly an advantage. Uh, and, you know, if I get more triangles, cool, I'll, I'll deal with that too. Um, uh, Hitman 3 gets official ray tracing support, which I'm actually kind of pumped for. Oh. Usually like these single game announcements, I'm like, yeah, whatever. Uh, Hitman 3, <laughs> fun game, very fun game. And yeah, I'm going to play it with ray tracing. Uh, Good for you. And that's pretty much it. Well Did, done, NVIDIA. Yeah. Didn't, didn't I get you a 2070? Isn't that what you're rocking now? Yeah, that's where that went. Okay, I was look actually yeah. looking for Not that like card. You the other don't day. have other ones. <laughs> I don't have. I only have. Isn't there a twenty seventy on your desk right across from you? No, it's a twenty sixty. Oh, I'm an idiot. <laughs> I was so confident too. Now there's two twenty sixties on the desk, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> and then there's a thirty seventy on the desk. But I was actually yeah. looking specifically for the twenty seventy the other day. Uh, I'm like, where did I? I Gosh. You know, I've got the 2070, but I have to admit, I don't think that I've even attempted ray tracing at, <laughs> here at home. Like, I don't know. Everybody could go back and listen to my thoughts on on it when we demoed it at uh, at uh, PAX. I, or was that PAX? Yeah, yeah it was PAX. Yeah. Um, yeah, we were the first in North America to try it. We were. We were. And uh, typical rat fashion, super resistant to technological change, but... We'll see. Maybe well, first off, they put it on a widescreen monitor, so it was an immediate turnoff for you. Idiots. <laughs> How dumb. Okay. <laughs> I want vacuum tubes in my monitors. It's the only way to get the truest image. Something to be said for that. Yeah, there is. Have you seen a lot of people talking about that? Like mm -hmm. with uh, the retro gaming, the way that they uh, 
the way that the pixel artists did things and utilized the sort of depth of the vet, like it's mind boggling, kind of interesting. Yeah. When you, when you look at the pictures side by side of a retro game on like a CRT versus uh, a modern monitor, it's just night and day. I've thought Um, about trying to build like physical masks to try to emulate or replicate um, pixel art, like maybe buying like an old Fresno lens for like a, a overhead projector or something like that and giving it just an ever so slight frost or etching to see if you can just diffuse that pixel, just that that tiny amount to get it you know, to fill that space. And that'd be an interesting experiment. I, uh, like I, 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 I've thought about so many different ways to try to attempt something like that, either for my arcade machine or right. for like a small retro monitor or something like that. Well, I follow a, a person on Twitter who has like some sort of software solution for mm-hmm. it. Like it emulates the... Yeah, there's scan, li- scan line emulation. Yeah, Maybe that's what it is. I don't know. I'd have to look it up again. But the, her results were like, really good i was actually like really impressed like it's not uh a completely faithful recreation but it's right leaps and bounds better than anything else i'd seen so yeah but uh but yeah, i'm gonna have to go through my library and see what games i have that even support uh ray tracing and <laughs> maybe give it a go maybe i'll convert myself there you go i think i have metro exodus that might be one well that's what we demoed yeah, I think I had yeah. that before even we demoed it. I've just never played it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm lazy. Is there a Morrowind mod for ray tracing yet? Uh, you know, I'm actually not you sure. Know, there's got to be, right? Oh my god, it's the first search result. Yeah, there is. <laughs> there you ray go. tracing and open Morrowind. Yeah. Right. Oh, oh yeah. Yeah, open MW. Okay. Sweet. I have to try it. <laughs> I was just adding something to Monday as I was, uh, I had a thought come into my head. About CRTs? Uh, kind of. But I wanted to write the idea down so I could explore it later. Oh, you're all good. I've been right there, note-taking space. Yep. All right. Uh, jumping back in time ever so slightly, Rhett, this is a note for you so you can catch up on the notes. Uh, we're going to go and check out DuckDuckGo. Now, DuckDuckGo is pretty well known, um, I would think by by my audience at least, um, as a privacy-conscious search engine. Uh, they All of their advertising is search with no tracking. You know, we don't make money off advertising. We don't sell your information. We don't, oh, what's this? You gave Microsoft permission to add trackers? Hmm. And it's exactly what it sounds like. Uh, For ads, we worked with Microsoft to make ad clicks protected. Uh, From our public ad page, Microsoft advertising does not associate your ad click behavior with a user profile. but the fact that they allowed Microsoft to use trackers from DuckDuckGo means that profiles can, in fact, be made. Because uh, we've... Uh, 
It's amazing how easily machine learning can actually build a profile of individual users online. Oh, uh, yeah. And, and the more information you give them, the more accurate they're going to be. Uh, there, there are algorithms that can identify individual users based on your mouse movement or eye positioning on the screen. Uh, and, and with like a 99% accuracy, like it's scary. Um, but, uh, when it comes to online information, uh, you're the main character in your own story and everyone else is just an NPC, right? Well, in your own brain, you like to think that you're not that unique. Like, yeah, I, I live in this place and I go to work here and like, I'm like, I see the same car driving the same way I'm going every single morning. Like, like, you know, he, we're not that, that dissimilar, you and I, except that guy owns a different house and drives a different car and uses a different gas station and gets groceries from a different location. And guess what? His cell phone knows every single one of those stops. He also goes and sees his mistress twice a week on Tuesdays. Like, uh, <laughs> like I said, not that different, not that not different, that you different. and I, <laughs> <laughs> it is not but that difficult based yeah. on actually not that much data, whether it's uh, searching uh, web searches, whether it's uh, browsing history, whether it's physical location, to ascertain exactly who you are, exactly what your interests are, exactly who you voted for, exactly the things that they think you're going to buy when you think you're going to buy them, uh, and deliver direct targeted advertising at you, you as an individual. Um, and we don't like to think we're all that unique, but we really are. Yeah, when you take a handful of data points, maybe not, but we all carry our phones around with us at, at all the time. When you begin to have 100 data points a day, for 10 years or a thousand data points a day for 10 years, like suddenly you begin to see a lot of places that you kind of deviate, you know, from the curve. Um, it's kind of impressive. And even then, I don't know the way that they, you know, there's the age old debate about like, well, are they listening to you or not? And well, if you take them at face value and they're not listening to you, the things that they are delivering to you mm -hmm. are so accurate that they're making you believe that they are listening to you. But it's not that hard. I mean, it's it, it's kind of mind-boggling and a little frightening when people come over to my house and they they do searches on my Wi-Fi network and all of a sudden I'm getting advertisements for those things. Like, I almost feel bad for the person that was trying to do like a private search for for something, you know, and all of a sudden I'm getting ads for like some sort of fungal cream or something. I'm like, oh, I didn't need to know that, but, but the same can be said. Well, I, I mean, he spent 15 else's... minutes in the bathroom. I figured it was <laughs> right. <laughs> figured well, it was serious, you know. And if I'm going to the fungal, the fungal infection clinic every Thursday, they don't even need to know. They're just going to start sending me those advertisements. Right. It's it's kind of interesting the way that they're able to do it. But again, you factor in as many data points as they have. I mean, mm -hmm. they they know the type of fast food you like. They know where you like to buy your gas. Yep. They know uh, how many calls you're making, who you're calling. They know what websites you're going to. I mean, and that and that's the craziest thing to me is is also just 
like being on other people's Wi-Fi networks. You know, they're they're able to ascertain so much information just from that. Yeah. They begin to see where your profiles overlap with other people, and then they can extrapolate even more data from that. Yep. You put so, you put this handful of data points together and this handful of data points together, all of a sudden you have the entire population individually profiled for whatever you want to advertise to. Yeah. That's how it all works. Yeah. It's pretty impressive. I've given up. I, you know, I'm I just send an email every every day to Google telling them what I'm doing, what yep. I'm eating. Yep. Had sushi I, they, for lunch. I mean, they even got my bowel movements just based on my Twitter activity, you know? So mm -hmm. <laughs> wow the moment he shows up to work at that craft computing studios we're gonna get into your bathroom habits here can <laughs> well, i was going to but i guess it's not as funny as i thought it was <laughs> i knew where you were going because <laughs> you're always going yeah exactly Wow, his boss is a stickler. He keeps him to one a day, 45 minutes a day. It's pretty impressive. That's right. I ain't paying you to piss. <laughs> but yeah, anyway, DuckDuckGo doing this, especially with their reputation, it's, it, it's I don't know, it's irony. In a way, it kind of yeah. sucks because I'm, I'm sure that DuckDuckGo is still a more oh to be clear they're still better than anyone else right right but somebody like me who literally emails google every day and tells them what i'm doing and what i'm eating i'm gonna like they're gonna all be like see i told you you were a sucker for switching to duck duck go <laughs> and it's like well wait a minute no it it's like when somebody's electric car catches fire and you know meanwhile they're driving like a big old diesel 350 and uh, they're like, well, I told you, you were fooled. Those things catch fire. <laughs> it's like, okay, there's still advantages, you know, pros and cons. You coming after me because I bought a new truck? Like, I'm, I was trying to. I was trying to segue into that so you could have a little humble brag about it. Right. Yeah, You're not no, driving I... a... What are you driving? I didn't read the threads. Well, it's a 10-year-old truck. It's, it's a new-to-me truck. Nothing wrong uh, with that. Yeah. No, exactly. Um uh, the cool thing is I got it for a really good deal. Uh, so a little humble brag there. Uh, in July of last year, we knew we were having our, our third child. And we had a seven-passenger vehicle in the Mazda CX-9, but it wasn't necessarily going to hold two car seats. Uh, like, like, it's a good vehicle if you need to, like, throw a soccer team in there in a pinch. But it's not a great grocery getter with three kids in tow. Um, and so it's like, crap, we're gonna have to buy a minivan. And I have been vehemently against minivans since, since minivans inception. Like, and I know that's not really possible because I'm, you know, only in my mid to late thirties, but, uh, I've hated, hated minivans. <laughs> I hate minivans. Um, we traded in my truck because my truck was like the extra vehicle that we had. And I'm not getting rid of my Z car. Uh, for a 2021 Yet. Toyota Sienna. And I love the thing. It's great. Um, it's a hybrid. It's a CVT. It's like everything that I hate all rolled into one. <laughs> but it gets 35 miles the gallon. It fits anything in it that I want. 
it's it's a great car. The sliding doors are awesome. Yeah, as as Michael points out, like it's it's just a great rig, especially for someone who has three kids now. Um, it's been fantastic. Uh, yeah. and it's actually not that bad to drive either. Like surprisingly, I've always loved minivans. I've always uh, loved minivans. Th- it's just this the one, way to go, man. This one drives like an SUV instead of like a minivan. The thing I've always hated about the minivans is you're sitting like on top of the front tire, and all you're doing is trailing the back end behind you instead of like actually being able to corner with it. This one corners like a crossover SUV. It, it's nice. Um, it, it's much more fluid and predictable. Um, but this last week I had to make my first run to the hardware store and buy a whole bunch of, of, uh, of wood needed some lumber for a project that I was working on. Um, Bought uh, like 32 by fours at an ungodly price. Uh, a couple sheets of plywood, a couple of this and that. Um, ended up putting $600 in lumber into the back of the van. And uh, I got home and I went, I ain't doing that again. And it wasn't necessarily because I didn't do it. It's because we just spent f- almost $50,000 on this van. And I'm like, I'm not going to ruin the interior by like sliding sheets of plywood into it because uh, while the rear seats in the Sienna go down, the front seats in this one do not remove. I can't take them out to haul wood. And that was a, a trademark of a lot of minivans is you can like fit a full sheet seat? of plywood. Uh, yeah, we have the two uh, captain's right, chairs, captain's chairs. In, in the gotcha, rear. Gotcha. These ones are not removable, at least not without some effort. Um so the rear seats still fold flat. Now, so I was able to load like the two by fours, but man, the plywood and the paneling that I had to get, that was a nightmare. Um, and I went, I have to have a truck back. I, I have to have a truck. Uh, so, so you're I, saying that the seats could come out with some effort. Did your wife know this part? With some effort, they would have come out just fine. Did you intentionally sabotage this to get a truck? <laughs> no no uh, i'm just messing with it, it, it's it's not a method that like you, you have to completely unbolt them and, and everything else it's right, not right, like right. the old ones it's like click and we're out yeah okay. you just slide them out yeah right yeah this yeah they're on a track the the legs themselves don't come out so they're still poking out of the floor like um i i wish they were removable that's the one thing about this minivan that i wish is that the captain's chairs were removable and they're not other than that it's a fantastic van um but uh so I traded in my 2014 Nissan Frontier uh, this last year when we bought the minivan. Uh, and I I got on trade 16500 for it. Um, I just bought a 2012, sorry, it was a 2013 Frontier. I just bought a 2012 uh, Ram 1500 quad cab with the 5.7 Hemi. Uh, already... It has a three inch lift on it, has aftermarket wheels, uh, oversized tires. Um, Not necessarily the truck that I was looking for, but just a great deal in general. But this was kind of someone's baby uh, where it's like, it's completely unmolested in in that like, there's been nothing mechanically done to it at all other than the general maintenance. And it looks like all of the general maintenance has been done. It came with a full book of, of maintenance records for it nice. like every oil change every every three to five thousand um, i love those kinds of owners right it is completely dry underneath there's not a drop of any seepage from any seal anywhere on the vehicle um the only modification that they did other than the lift um and the lift was done right uh 
was they added some light bars to it and the electrical was a little hokey, but it was so hokey that I took it out with like three cuts of a zip tie and snipping two wires and then everything came out. Uh, and it was like, cool. <laughs> and so now it's back to completely stock under the hood. Um, the the oil and transmission fluid were both completely clear and completely topped. Uh, and the diff was, was in good shape. It shifts perfectly. Um, I paid 12000 for this rig. Like I, I paid less for a full-size truck that's only one year older than the truck that I just traded in that was a mid-size. Like it's it was a good deal. <laughs> yeah. And you know, the thing about a truck is when you need a truck, you need a truck. You need a truck. Right. Like, right. But yeah. Now remember, that you got a big old truck. To, remember trying to drive halfway to Seattle in my Z car <laughs> with, with luggage in the back? Yeah. Little, I mean, I thought it was fun. That was fun. That guy pulled up next to us at the red light, revving his engine. That was cool. That, that doesn't was happen too. in a truck. No, no, it doesn't. <laughs> yeah, we like dragged a guy. <laughs> that happened to me three times on the way home from Portland a couple of weeks ago, where I had three different people try to drag race me. It was awesome. And the guy was such a good sport about it. it was. I don't know. It was. I, it was fun. That was the first time I'd ever been involved in anything like that. It just like made my day. <laughs> <laughs> usually i'll decline them anyway like i'll i'll give them a little engine noise because it, it's got a good exhaust on it and and you know it's still good for 300 horses and, and whatnot but uh you know i i'm i'm the cautious type like like I, yeah yeah i'll go carve in a in, in a, on a canyon road with the best of them yeah for but sure but i'm not going to race between lights because that's just not me it's even well, as good guy. as I think I am, it's still dangerous. Like, well, this is like the last light going out of town, you know, and <laughs> this guy pulls up and Jeff must just be, he's so good at tuning it out. Cause this guy's like revving at us in like some, some ridiculous, like well, I couldn't Honda. hear him over my own ego. So, right. Yeah. I was, he's like driving a Honda Accord or something ridiculous. I don't know what it was, but he's all like revving his engine and stuff. And I look over and I'm like, Jeff, this guy's revving his engine at you. What is it? Why is he doing that? And then I, it dawned on me. I was like, oh, dude, does he want oh, to God. race? <laughs> <laughs> I could see the wheels turning in your head, too. It was amazing. It was amazing watching you get from A to B. I was like, oh, dude, nice. And you're like, here, I'll give him a little something. And you like revved your engine. And the guy came up and he was like, you know, yeah. I was like, oh, yeah, this is it. <laughs> That right there is the same reason I got a motorcycle was just because you get in on the, you know, the yeah, that little bit of roadway camaraderie. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So anyway. Uh, so anyway, duck, duck, go be cautious of them because if they're doing that, then well, they're building I, profile. I wouldn't necessarily say be cautious. I would say be aware. Um, they be aware. are, they are a free service. Their defense of it is that it has become so incredibly difficult to block tracking cookies um, that rather than try to fight, they have said, we're going to stop our efforts with Microsoft because Microsoft is by far one of the least offending uh, right, trackers that's right. out there. We'll let them do it just so we don't have to focus any efforts on them and we can focus efforts on some more nefarious trackers, uh, ones that are actually trying to profit off your data and, and things like that. So that's their defense. I, I don't know that I necessarily agree with that, but I, at the same time, I, I definitely understand it. Um, so 
I'm not thrilled, but it's kind of the way it is. So just be aware. Uh, Andrew says, last year, my mother picked up a 2021 F-150. Thing is nuts. Practically drives itself. Uh, uh, yeah, actually, our Toyota Sienna, it doesn't, it doesn't have self-driving. Not that the Teslas do either, but it doesn't have self-driving, but it does have lane <laughs> Careful, status. we're about to get brigaded by Right, all the Musk Elon, stands. all the Musk boys. Uh, <laughs> it, it does have lane transit assist, LTA, uh, and it also has the, the radar-controlled cruise, uh, which you can configure to a number of different following distances and sensitivities and things like that. On the highway, dare I say, it freaking drives itself. Like... I could practically go hands-off. And I've tested it a couple times around some light corners on I-5. And it will just carry you on down the road. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, now I will say I've tried it hands-off like this. Like, my hands are over the wheel or I've got, a ha- I've got like a, a finger on the bottom of it or something like that. Um, but it will pretty much just traverse I-5 by itself. Um, and that's really cool. Yeah. I'm always blown away. Like each new generation of cars, just more and more advanced. Meanwhile, I'm typically about 15 to 20 years in the past. (laughs) Yeah. Well, what's funny is I think the reason I got this, this Ram for the price that I did is it is one of the bone stock models. Um, it, it, it is the ST model, which is their lowest end model. Um, but it had some very choice upgrades, like the engine and transmission from the from the stock four speed automatic, uh, and the the three point seven liter V six to the five point seven liter with the Hemi and the six speed automatic. Um, it's got the towing package and and it's got a couple other little things. It has the bone stock stereo. It's a column shift. The interior is cloth. It's like there's not a bell or whistle on this thing. I'm lucky it has remote keyless. Uh, it does have automatic windows. I did get power windows. Oh, whoa, I, whoa, whoa. Right, right. Um, but that's like that's like the lap of luxury. Like, like I'm living like it's 1998. Um, but uh, yeah, just because it's a... It, basic model but like i said this was also someone's baby the the interior is perfect and i mean perfect like the driver's side seats where you would get in and out you can see the fabric is just a little looser there like it's been stretched a little bit but it's not worn it's not torn and the rest of the interior is freaking mint uh like this was a one guy like who drove from seattle to portland every day uh kind of thing uh the bed's a little you know, bed has some dents in it, but no rust. He's using no, it. Yeah, it's he's, a truck. It's a truck, right. And uh, uh, I test drove like four trucks over this last weekend. And uh, every single one of them goes like, man, I would have polished it up a little bit. Yeah, it's got a little little bit of a nick here. I went, it's a truck. I, my, my Z is my show car. <laughs> like that's the one I care if there's a little ding in it or something like that or a nick in the paint or whatever else. I expect a truck to have a couple of dents. Yeah. I mean, don't fold the frame in half. And, and no. I'd rather the door's still all open, free, and clear. But, you know, it's a truck. Yeah. Yeah, people get a little precious about them. Uh, I've always been kind of... Yeah. I don't know. You know, I come from a small town where people actually use their trucks. Yeah. Like, 
And uh, so when people get like, ooh, hey, careful what you're putting in the bed. I'm like, what it's the a, hell else a am I bed. supposed to do with the bed? My my father-in-law was so funny one day. Um, my, my Nissan Frontier uh, had a Rhino line bed on it. And... And even though this is an older truck, I'll probably end up doing that to this just to prevent any any rust in the future. Sure, yeah. Like, you know, <laughs> uh, just because it's a truck, I'm gonna load things into it. But uh, he uh, he slid something in there one day, and then he realized it was sliding, and it left a scratch on on the Rhino line. Just Good. just like on just the, the line. Oh, jeez. The the faintest like, and it would go away like nothing. Uh, it did more damage to the box that he was moving than the bed liner, which is kind of the point of bed liner. And he goes, oh, my God, I'm so sorry. And I went, it's a truck and it's the bed liner of the truck. That's why it exists is so I can put things in it. Yeah. See, that's <laughs> but he was level. mortified Ooh. that he may have scratched the truck, the bed of the truck. Yeah, cars is one of those weird things. They're meant to be used, yet. Everybody's so careful and precious about them. Yeah. I mean, I understand I mean, I get wanting it. to keep a car looking the, nice or if it's your sure. baby or whatever else. I I'm, sure. I understand it. Yeah. But like, I don't know, man. Yeah. I don't know. It's I, I'm not from that world. Like we went to uh, uh, PDX land and the currency of some of these tech nerds is talking cars. And Jeff went on with these guys for like 90 minutes. And I was like. Where the hell am I right now? Where are my nerds at? Yeah. Can we talk about something else, please? <laughs> but of course, you know, car nerds are nerds. I'm just That's right. But uh there's there's some overlap. Yeah, there is. There's a lot of overlap I'm finding working at craft computing. So yeah. Uh I might just have to crack a encyclopedia about cars one of these days. See what they have to say about them. Back in 1904, Henry Ford <laughs> exactly. reinvented the automotive market with the Model T. You know, I had a friend, one of my one of my best friends in high school, he learned to drive and got his learner's permit on a Model T. <laughs> his dad owned like a dozen Model Ts. Yeah. His dad owned hundreds of cars. Yeah. And that was just his whole thing was having cars and tractors. He had a, airplanes and motorcycles he had like a hundred motorcycles Jeez. and uh and i don't know why or how or whatever but yeah my friend learned to drive on a model t and then took it to the dmv and took his learner's permit test <laughs> or not his learner but his, his driving test, test for his license yeah. thank yeah. you yeah sorry <laughs> in a model but, uh, t <laughs> yeah in a model t um and he went to one of the small town dmvs where they just ate it up you yeah know, so, oh, i'm sure uh they thought it was great he have the little honking horn on the side. <laughs> <laughs> I have no idea. I don't know what he had, but that model, what the model T he learned to drive on was parked outside of his house uh, for like the first 10 years that I knew him. Um, they drove it in all the parades in town and everything and all that. So yeah. Uh, Novella hub says, what do I drive? Ooh, fancy question. Well, right now, Ooh. currently, I'm in a 2012 Nissan Leaf. Yeah. Living baby. it up. The lap of luxury. Um, yeah. Yeah. I got to give him <laughs> one of those. Yeah. <laughs> you know, what's funny is I, I think about that every time, but I haven't really had a chance to leave the house since then. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, so I've not been uh, able to get the uh, Nissan Leaf 
fist of power out there to people. The, 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 the thing going, yeah, protect the environment. Yeah, my man. <laughs> hey, we're doing it. We're doing it. We, we, Saving the planet. I, I got to ride in the Leaf the other day, and uh, we, we had a, I, I asked him, like, like on a motorcycle, you, you do the wave to everyone. Uh, oh, yeah. In, in, in oh, Z- it's one of these, like off the handlebar, down low. Right, know? right. Yeah, down, it's low. down low, right. Um, on the Z car, it's especially if you have the manual, you have your left hand up, and it's usually the two fingers. And, and oh, so yeah. a, lot, a lot of Z car owners will do this when, when you're driving by. Um, regardless of, of year of Z car, like I'll, I'll do that to a 240 or a, a 370. Like it doesn't matter. Um, and it's just this thing with Z car owners. And like almost all of them do it. And it's great. Um, so I said, you know, does the leaf have something like that? And 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 he goes, no, nah, I don't think it does. I said, I, I said, well, you need to do like the power fist. You know, you need to, and like you should make that happen. So if that yeah. starts happening with Nissan Leaf owners, it started here on Craft Computing. Yeah, it's true. I'm gonna make it happen. I'm gonna make it happen. Somebody says, do you charge it at Jeff's? Yes. <laughs> when I drive to the studio, I plug it in. I I can make it there and back without it. But uh, I've told Jeff of some of my dicier um, <laughs> return voyages. Yes. Uh, like one time, somebody's saying here that it has the worst battery management. And pretty much, at least with the Leaf that we have, um, it's not our Leaf. We're thinking about buying it, though. Um, I'm just down a car. Um, and I got to get to Craft Computing Studios. To, so, um, But uh, I learned pretty quickly to basically just not pay too much attention to the battery gauge. Uh, it's not the most accurate depiction. It tries its best to predict, you know, based on the way you're driving and what you're doing and averaging, you know, your, your power draw and all this sort of stuff. But um, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's definitely not that accurate because I one time drove all the way from the studio back to my house and it locked at like nine miles left on my, <laughs> on my meter. It was like, you have nine miles left until you're empty. I'm like, well, I definitely live further than nine miles away. So hopefully this works. Uh, and it did. So there you go. Um, and people are kind of, uh, yeah, personally, uh, part of the appeal of the leaf and somebody saying it is, you know, they're one of the cheapest to buy used. That's exactly why we have it. And that's exactly why it's uh, like mm-hmm. the first generation model leaf. Um, but they're doing some pretty cool things. Like if I can get some uh, extra battery modules or something for it, then it's going to make it a lot more useful to me. It doesn't have to be perfect. The beauty is, is I bomb around town or I go and do errands and like, it's, it's no big deal. And the thing has a little bit of giddy up, you know, it's not like I'm driving a golf cart. Or I was whatever moderately impressed. Yeah. It's, it's not bad. I mean, it it's, looks... it's, it's not holding the end of the seat, but it's like, it'll giddy up and boogie. Right. Well, and then the battery that runs all my other stuff, that's uh solar charged. Yeah. So like, it's always full. Uh, like I've never had like a, Oh no, this won't start. Or well, I guess it's not started that way. You know what I mean though? Right. Right. <laughs> like, Oh no, my radio won't turn on my headlights. Won't... No, it's always charged. So, yeah. um, I don't know. It's, it's, it's kind of nice. I've been enjoying it. So EVs are kind of cool. It's so quiet. And also I hate gas stations. I hate them. Like uh, before, the reason I'm driving the, the, the Leaf is because I have a 2002 Jeep Grand Cherokee. And you can imagine that's gotten expensive lately. I get all of 15 miles to the gallon. 
And uh, it's got like a freaking 24 gallon tank or something ridiculous. And I literally was like, before gas got over $5 a gallon here in Oregon, I was like, you know what I'm going to do? Feeling good. I'm going to fill this some son of a gun up. And then it broke down. Yeah. So <laughs> it's got a full tank of gas in it. And what's uh, ironic now is his other car can't even use it. Right. I know. <laughs> even if he could get it out. <laughs> I know. I know. So anyway, that's where we're at with cars right now. Yep. Uh, what's really funny is uh, it's actually more economical now to drive my Z car than it ever has been. Let me explain. Uh, yeah. My Z car... Uh, I don't drive it a ton. Like I, I do probably about three to 4,000 miles a year on it. Um, now before I was commuting in it. So I was doing, you know, 15, 20,000 miles a year in it. Uh, don't do that anymore. Like I, my commute is put on my slippers and walk downstairs. It's not really that big of a deal. And I don't use very much gas. Uh, I always put premium gas into the Z because that's really what it needs. It needs 91 octane or better. Um, and in fact, my gas mileage will absolutely tank. So any savings that I get from lower fuel prices from buying regular or plus, uh, are negated by getting worse gas mileage if I use those, uh, and it's worse for the car. So I've always filled with premium. Well, there happens to be a VP race fuels, uh, fill up station near my house. Like it's one of the closest gas stations to me. Uh, so I can go and I can roll up and fill up with, uh, ethanol free 93 octane. And the nice thing about ethanol free is it doesn't break down. It doesn't, you know, turn into like acid or, you know, whatever else. Sludge. It, it doesn't turn into sludge. It doesn't eat away at your gaskets. It's just gas and it's, it's better quality gas and, and my car runs better on it anyway. But if, I, if it sits in the tank for three, four, five months, which sometimes it does if I'm not driving it a whole lot, rainy months especially, I don't drive the Z car hardly at all, uh, then it doesn't destroy my gas tank or my systems or clog my injectors or whatever else. Well, 93-0E is usually like $2 a gallon more expensive uh, than your standard you know, pump gas. Um, you know, easily a dollar fifty more than your standard premium. Um, well, even when the gas prices shot up to you know five dollars, and actually at my local station they were like five dollars and twenty cents a gallon. Ninety three E zero was at five fifty four, so I only had to spend an extra thirty cents a gallon to fill it with ethanol free premium. It was freaking amazing. And using that gas, if I'm bombing on the highway, Rhett can attest to this. I get twenty seven miles the gallon in that car. Yeah. Like it, it, it loves that stuff. Uh, now bombing around town and especially if I'm having fun, I've seen it go as low as like 16, five. Uh, See, that's the difference with the EV. It loves going around town. Right. I could probably get the entire capacity down in, uh, if I'm just driving around town, but the moment I hit the highway, that's, it's like, no, it doesn't want to do that anymore. Yeah. Yeah, you're more of a 45 and under. My Z is like, no, 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 give me 70 and up. I need to be able to coast. <laughs> well, so do I, but I get up a lot more speed first. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so there's some car 
Car yeah. Talk on Car Talk Radio. Yeah. You know, like the old Car Talk. There you go. What's amazing is we maintained our audience that entire time. I mean, we well, didn't add any new, but they didn't go away. They definitely were not happy when I called car nerds n- other types of nerds. Right. Or something. I don't know. Yeah. Y'all are the same to me. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm going to polish this off real quick. Yeah, I did open my second one. Another Michelob Amberbach Dark Lager. Delicious. Tasty. It's uh, drinkable, <laughs> yet refreshing. So, Space Flamingo. Hazy IPA. Not all that hazy. Hardly had any haze at all. Um, very, very good. Super impressed with this. Not super impressed from like, like, oh my god, you've got to try this hazy. Super impressed from like, it's an IPA that happens to be hazy. It it has some of the juicier uh, Northwest IPA notes to it without being like this dank hop clingy oily kind of drink um it's it's more juicier in the way more juicier it's more juicy in the way of like gosh what's a great example that everyone would know um because i can think of oh like uh deschutes fresh squeezed there you go the fresh squeeze ipa which is an ipa that you can get nationwide uh it's it reminds me a lot of that but with just a little bit more more body and more juice to it. Um, so, yeah, it's an IPA that you really can't see through. And I guess that makes it hazy. But it was just a darn good full-bodied IPA. Like, nothing I really to complain about. Uh, beer number two is from Crux Fermentation Project, another Oregon brewery. Uh, these guys are out of Bend. This is the Mountain Traffic Hoppy Red Ale. And this one clocks in at 70%. Love it. We do have a super chat from our very own American Cosworth. Mm-hmm. $2. Thank you so much. Thank you. I drive a Honda Ridgeline. Now judge me as you will. Well, you can't really hang with the four-wheel drive bros because that's technically an all-wheel drive vehicle, but it is all-time all-wheel drive, so I guess you've got that going for you. But I also believe the Ridgeline has open diff, so even though it's all-wheel drive, it'll only put power to two wheels at a time. Um, so, Which actually means you could hang with some four-wheel drive bros if they are also rocking open diffs. Um, I, I really have no complaints about the Ridgeline. Um, it's not your traditional truck, and I think that's fine. Like... Like if you think of your your big four, uh, and I and I will put Toyota in with the big four, even though Toyota really is kind of a distant fourth if you don't count the Tacomas. Um, I mean, the Tacomas are great though. The Tacoma is a fantastic rig, but if you look at who drives a truck and what do they drive in America, it's Ford, it's Dodge, and it's Chevy. End of list. Uh, and then there's also the Tacoma, which hangs around in there. And I guess the Tundra is also still a thing. Sure. I see them every once in a while. Um, and then you've got your Nissan and your and your Hondas. Which Nissan and Honda, I will say, are both kind of atypical trucks. They're not the giant Super Duty. They're not the, the one and a half and two and a half ton capacity. They're a lighter duty truck with a larger chassis. Um, I've always said like the the Nissan Titan, 
we were trying to get out of car talk and you roped me right back into it. Uh, but uh, American the, cars the, the Nissan Titan is a one and a half, is a one and a half ton truck and a two and a half ton body. It's a really big truck. It's a beautiful truck. Drives great. Great transmission. Great engine, especially that five liter V8 that they were using for a long time. Um, but or five point six liter, I think it was. Um, great V8. Great engine. Great transmission. Um, always a little bit undersized on the suspension and towing capacity and everything else compared to other full size trucks. But it was also twenty thousand dollars cheaper well-equipped. So you'd be paying 55000 off the lot instead of 75000 off the lot versus, you know, like a Dodge, you know, well-equipped Dodge 1500 diesel or a 2500 Silverado or something like that. Um, not a bad deal, just not your typical truck in that size category. Um, I kind of look at the Ridgeline at the same way, where it's a one-ton truck and a one-and-a-half-ton body. It's got a wheel drive, which is fantastic. It's all time. You don't have to turn it on or off. Um... You know, it's right up there in the same power bracket as the the V6 Tacoma and the V6 Frontier, right around that 300 horsepower, right around 300 foot-pounds of torque. I think they're all within like 20 of each other, depending on the day. Uh, you know, it's a it's a fine truck. Um, you can throw the Colorado in that mix as well, although the Colorado's a little underpowered at like 240 horsepower, especially with that bastard five-cylinder that they used for a while. Um, but... I got nothing against the Ridgeline. It just looks a little funky. It reminds me of uh, Chevy Avalanche. Yeah, well, hey, you know, some trucks just made better than others. I don't think the Honda Ridgeline is made all that bad. I mean, no, it looks kind of silly, but like I said, it's just kind of for the North American market. I put it in that second category of non-typical truck. Right. And by um, non-typical, you mean not the cowboy trucks. It's not you know. the cowboy truck. Right. It's it's utility, but it's not balls to the wall towing capacity and, and hauling people capacity that drive, and everything else. People that drive ridgelines don't smoke Marlboros. No. They're Schwissers? Schwissers? <laughs> Swisher Sweets? I was going to say American Spirits, but American I don't Spirits. know if that's true. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of a low blow. <laughs> well they're definitely not rolling their own no no why would they do that yeah. they're driving a honda ridge <laughs> doesn't go well with the starbucks anyway <laughs> yeah they only smoke menthols <laughs> american cosworth coming back with a five dollar donation from what i have found the ridge line is a great mid-sized truck i'm coming from a forester and dislike quote-unquote driving a truck having lived on a farm as a kid yeah, yeah i get that see i i loved my nissan frontier and again it's a mid-sized truck um it's actually the beefiest of the mid-sized trucks it has the the best towing capacity and the highest horsepower and torque ratings um of the the tacoma the ridgeline the colorado the you know all those you know mid the only mid-sized trucks that are left even the new ranger it it bested that um it was available in a six-speed manual, which I freaking loved. It had a locking rear differential. Like it was, it was a very, very well well-equipped truck and outpunched its normal class rating in that group of trucks. Um, it also drove like a freaking big truck, even though it was a mid-sized truck. 
Uh, and so I totally get where you're coming from with the Ridgeline, where the Ridgeline, because it's Honda, because it is a softer suspension, it is a, it's not meant to, you know, go, go mud bogging if you, if you want. It's, it's meant to get through the snow and the ice and go up to Mount Hood. It's, you know, <laughs> they're trucks for two very different purposes. And kind of like I don't like minivans, but I love the Toyota Sienna 2021 hybrid uh, because it doesn't drive like a minivan. So I totally get where you're coming from there. Well, there you have it, guys. Here on Craft Cars. Okay, I'll workshop that one too. Um, I am looking at putting like my logo somewhere on the new truck. I don't want it to be garish or gaudy or anything like that. I don't want like a giant vinyl sticker, but I'm looking at like a well-placed logo somewhere. Haven't decided where yet. Yeah, just get a really subtle, you know, sticker you can, I don't know, put on the I back mean, window. I mean, I sell window stickers, craftcomputing.store. Oh, wow. There you go. Not LTT.store. Yep, not LTT.store. All um, right. We have some beer well, news. Oh, yeah, we do. We do. Uh, America loses its only Trappist brewery. Uh... And yeah, that's kind of interesting. Yeah. Uh, so the St. Joseph's Abbey in Spencer, Massachusetts, say that they are going to close their brewery um, and find other ways to support their contemplative prayer. Uh, so if you don't know, St. Joseph's Abbey is um, a practicing monastery. Uh, and the way they support their nonprofit, so to speak, lifestyle is through selling beer. Um, now, I will say it's one of the only abbeys, one of the only monasteries in the country to sell beer, but there's actually another one in Mount Angel. However, it is of a different group of monks. So this is the Trappist, the last Trappist brewery. Um, yeah. I don't remember what St. Benedictine is. They're Benedictine monks. Benedictine, And okay. so Trappist monks are, if I'm not mistaken, don't quote me on this. I grew up in Mount Angel, but I'm not right. familiar, I'm not very, like, Catholic. Uh, the Trappist monks are a Benedictine order, but they have a, com like, completely different structure of living. Like, gotcha. I'm pretty sure, like, most of them are, like, vegetarians. Like, they have, like, dietary restrictions like that based on mm -hmm. something that saint benedict said yeah and so the mount angel abbeys are benedictine monks um but they're not trappists gotcha that's the only distinction i can make i don't know anything else <laughs> makes sense to me uh so yeah uh yeah saint joseph saint joseph's abbey in massachusetts is closing its brewery uh, because of competition in the brewery world, their sales have gone down and they said, well, if we can't support the brewery, then we can't support our way of life. So yeah. 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 It's kind Sucks of interesting all around. I, I don't know. Does it say how long that they've been brewing beer there? The brewery launched in 2014. So like, yeah, not that old. Not that and long. I wonder, right. I wonder, is that anybody over in the Massachusetts area? Can you speak to, you know, how, how, beer sales have been doing like the last couple of years i mean it's been kind of a wild wild ride i mean it's probably hard to keep a tasting room open i'm sure um yep. 
and uh yeah i don't know uh it, because it feels like and granted two vastly different beer ecosystems i mean the west coast yeah. i've never not driven past uh the benedictine brewery tap house and not seen it completely Jam-packed. slammed <laughs> right and it's like kind of out on the outskirts of town it's in the country you know and so yeah. like it's a destination you know people yeah. don't accidentally end up there yeah it's not hey uh, where do you want to have dinner well let's just go to benedictine it's right there it's not right there no no <laughs> like yeah you intentionally drove there yeah um so i don't know i'd just be I'd be curious to know like is it their beer is it their um yeah, don't know. I guess, well, in here, oh, I don't know. I was attempting to to skim read some more of this article to to add some, but uh, I really don't know. Yeah. Yeah, well, all the best, you know. I mean, there's still other, there's got to be other breweries in the U.S. that are making beer, right? Like, other than Mount Angel Abbey, or is that the only one? I don't know. That'd be interesting to find out. Monastery... Um, breweries while you're looking that up we do have some other beer news to get to and this includes a phrase that i never thought i ever wanted to hear in my entire life and i stand by that statement and that is that miller light is going to bring miller light flavor to your barbecue thanks to infused charcoal briquettes made with actual and i quote miller light reduction end quote Miller Lite reduction is the phrase that (laughs) I don't ever want to hear again. (laughs) Miller Lite essential oil. It's basically what it is. Um, Yeah, so they will be doing spice-infused briquettes launched by Kingford uh, with a Miller Lite reduction sauce. Yum. Yeah. Oh, God. The first thing I thought of was that old, uh, gosh, it was the peanut butter and whatever. You got beer in my briquettes. You got briquettes in my beer. Oh, God. Uh, like like the, yeah. When Miller, when Miller Lite goes to make a product like this, like this is like, this is a novelty, right? Like they're not actually trying to break into the business i hope not like i've never understand like we always end up with stories like this on wednesdays mm-hmm. where they make something that they shouldn't make mm-hmm. and i get irrationally mad about it <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> miller what are you doing what like what's the what's the starting goal let alone what your end goal is that's what i want to know yeah. I mean, I get it. here's the thing. It doesn't take a genius to say beer and barbecues go hand in hand. That's where the connection ends. <laughs> Never have I been standing there with a Miller Lite. And you can just end that sentence right there. But <laughs> never have I been standing there with a Miller Lite over the top of a barbecue and went, you know what? That ought to make those burgers better. Like, here's the director of marketing in this article, guys. 
on foodandwine.com. She says, summer is all about outdoor cookouts and get-togethers, which means plenty of Miller time. Summer uh-huh. is also beer season. And as a light beer known for great taste, it only made sense to pair Miller Lite with the distinct and beloved flavor grilling offers. We see Miller Lite beer coal is the perfect way to kick off a season-long celebration of beer, grilling, and hanging out with friends and family. Um, Boy... <sighs> No offense, Anne. You're probably wonderful at your job, but that is the most marketing <laughs> jargon for beer you could ever cram into a single paragraph. You know how they say that when you're a hammer, every problem is a nail? When you're a marketing director, <laughs> every problem is a Miller problem, and it's always Miller time. <laughs> I just like this literally it's funny to me that she is <laughs> she got all the right talking points in like I said credit to Anne because she's probably phenomenal at this we have all done what Anne has done we go look this is what I do so let's give it my spin right she's like I have to justify my position here because guess what Miller Lite sells itself <laughs> It always has. When was the last time you bought a Miller Lite based on a commercial? Right. No, you bought a Miller Lite or you drank one because because sometime... it was eleven ninety nine a case. That's why you bought it. Exactly. We all know people that have a case of Miller Lite in their fridge, uh, and most of them work with wrenches. No, I don't know what that means, but <laughs> whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> I just spent an hour getting car folks interested in my show, and then you throw that garbage out there. And they all drink Miller Lite. They all drink Miller Lite. <laughs> but who knows? Maybe they do. Any Miller Lite drinkers in the chat? Sound off. Guys, I drink Rainier. I'm not throwing shade. Right. Okay. Right. So he knows what he is. I have a Michelob in my hands right now. <laughs> so, um, I've drank a Miller. Never Lite have before. I stood there with a Michelob Ultra. You can end well, the sentence right there. <laughs> I have had a Michelob Ultra. I will say that, but it's sixty-four calories, bro. Or maybe that's something else. I don't know. Maybe it's like you know what has calories. less water. That's fine, but what if I want a beer? <laughs> then I will go buy a beer. We all celebrate John when he's out there doing his non-alcoholic beer thing, <laughs> but we can't celebrate a light beer that has 64 calories. You know, again, we don't kink shame on this channel and what you do in the privacy of your own barbecue in your backyard is totally up to you. Um, what I will say is I have turned down free domestic beer on many occasions. That's I, fine. That's right, re- healthy because, and responsible. <laughs> well, no, here, here's how the conversation goes is I'll go over to someone's house and they'll say, hey, can I get you a beer? And I'll say, well, what kind do you have? And which I think is a perfectly reasonable response, because if someone says, hey, do you want a soda? And they toss me like a grapefruit squirt. I'm going to be less inclined than if it was a Sprite or a Coke. Right. Like. Okay, yeah. Right. There's different tastes for some things, and maybe I don't feel like a grapefruit squirt. You said you want a soda, and you tossed me a squirt. Like, that's not what my brain had in mind. So 
I don't think it's rude to say, well, what kind of beer do you have? Yeah, what do you got? That's an appropriate question. Right, exactly. Um, well, I got I got Miller or Bush. Which one do you... You know what? I'll, you got like a Powerade or something in the garage? I'm assuming you the don't have ants? Gatorade because, you know... <laughs> <laughs> if they say Miller or Bush, the correct answer is Bush. Yeah, easily. Yep. Nope. Nope. I will I will turn down that for a nice tall glass of ice water. Thank you very much. Uh, and I'm it's very not, different and from the other. We are very different. Heads. Right, right. <laughs> yeah. I'm I'm having the conversation with the wrong person here. Uh but Don't get me wrong. I love craft beers. Mm-hmm. I've never turned a craft beer down. Right. But I've also never turned down. A Miller Lite. <laughs> well, that's not true. Depends on if they have something else, you know. Yeah, they got Rainier. I'm going to take the Rainier. <laughs> yep. yep. Oh, yep, good. Yep. We blocking stuff from Naked HD Fun webcam oh, fire right. emoji. Right. Good job. Good job. Uh, good job, mod team. Mods. Uh, it is that time because, of night when the. It's because we the... started talking about squirt. It's got to be it. It's got to be it. <laughs> I don't get that correlation. Yeah, see the moment even Rev says the moment someone says the word squirt, the porn bot feels the need to chime in. <laughs> Sorry, mod team, I should have warned you beforehand. We're talking about squirt and bush. That's right. That's right. Josh. Ah, oh, our bad. Our bad. Ugh. But yeah. So anyway, there you go. Uh, Miller Lite having so. If anybody tries this this summer. Uh, jump back on the show or get on the Discord. Hit us up on Twitter. Let us know how the uh, Miller Lite beer cats were. I'm morbidly curious. I'm morbidly curious. Miller Lite reduction. Go the rest Um, of my life and not hear that phrase again. Uh, One last story. And this one was kind of cool. Um... This is kind of a weird, a weird game, uh, and I, and I only say that because there might be the ever so slightest generational gap in us for this game. Like you may be aware of it, but I played it, um, and I'm talking about uh, Simcopter, developed by Maxis, published by EA. Uh, actually, I believe it was just published by Maxis because Maxis was their own publishing house back in the day. Um, but uh, Simcopter. Of uh, gosh, what was that? 1997, 98? 90, I have to look. I have to look it up. Don't look at me. I don't know. Right. Like I said, there's probably a generational 1996, a year earlier. Uh, Simcopter, 1996, developed by Will Wright and Maxis Studios. Uh, so, oh, and it was published by EA. Okay. Yeah. Published by Electronic Arts and Maxis. Uh, so of SimCity fame, and in fact, SimCopter was essentially an add-on title for SimCity. Now it was its own standalone game, but if you had SimCity 2000, you could build a city in SimCity 2000 and then import that city into SimCopter and fly around it in a helicopter. And go and solve problems like natural disasters and alien encounters and earthquakes and fires and crap. Um, 
Now, the game itself was, dare I say, terrible. The graphics, even for the day, were god-awful. Uh, and I'm talking about 1996 3D rendered everything. I'm saying the graphics were that bad. Um, like, in the day, we're going, man, like, I'd rather just have Wolfenstein. <laughs> um, but uh, it was a... It was a fun game to get lost in for a couple hours. It, it it's a it's a cult classic. It's one that that does hold some nostalgia, even as bad as the game is, uh, for me. But it was only ever available for the PC. However, in late 1995, it was demoed on the upcoming Ultra 64. That is the Nintendo 64, the upcoming Nintendo system that would be launched in November of 1996. This was supposed to be a launch or near launch title for the Nintendo 64. Uh, well, the game pretty much vanished. Um, it was showcased at E3 1997. Sorry, it was sorry, it was released on PC in 96 and it was showcased at E3 97 for the Nintendo 64 as a port title. Okay. Um, but it was showcased at E397 and then, like, never heard from again. Because it was Until? <laughs> Until now. <laughs> there you go. Uh, it was supposed to be a launch title for the Nintendo 64 disk drive. That's right. Okay, that's where I got launch title from. Uh, and someone found it on a cartridge recently and it is a full playable version uh it is obviously not a final version because the final was ultimately canceled it is also not as up to date as the most recent demo we had seen which was i believe december 97 so this demo is dated for or sorry this demo is dated for december 26 97 which is a few months after the showing of E3 1997, but before the final build was showcased at Tokyo Game Show where it was fully playable. So this is a very late stage beta or prototype, but it does have the game itself put in there where it's not just like a tech demo or they're not just testing things. They're actually going through and putting in menu systems and gameplay and advancement and things like that. Uh, so this is fairly late stage in the game development process, uh, which was lost for almost 24 years uh, until it was uncovered in a prototype Nintendo 64 cartridge. Uh, and there's a lot of hope that this can be dumped and be played on an emulator or, or at least preserved for, uh, for future game development research. Um, it definitely looks like a much different game. I mean, the the hanger is very similar in design, um, but you have a guy with hearts here and a coin collection system, which was definitely not part of the PC version. Um, you've got your your fuel and water capacity, which was normal, and you've got your mini map, which is in the different a different location from Simcopter. The copter is definitely a slightly different design, although I do recognize the the uh, sprite spinning blade on top of it. Um, and you've got some N64 icon buttons. So you've got a C up button indicating some kind of button that you need to hit there. Um, and the most interesting thing about this is it 
comes with a couple real-world locations, including Japan and California. Um, and they were not necessarily SimCity-style maps. I mean, they were developed by Maxis, obviously, but uh, Maxis for SimCity 2000 had maps for Honolulu, and I guess they had one for Tokyo and one for Seattle. Um, but uh, these are locations that were not on the SimCopter or SimCity 2000 library. So very interesting stuff. Uh, build was found on a development cartridge, which the Reddit user purchased through Craigslist from somebody, quote, who worked in the game industry. Purchased as part of a larger lot of development systems and materials. The contents of this unmarked development cart are a huge discovery. Uh, however, uh, much mystery about the game, uh, or a long-time mystery game, is about to become much more understood. So yeah, uh, since we only ever got non-hands-on demos, we got stage demos from Maxis and E3 and the Tokyo Games Festival. Uh, no one's ever actually had hands-on time with SimCopter for the Nintendo 64. So I can't wait to try it. I was going to say, that. <laughs> it's only a matter of time. Mm -hmm. I'll give it a look. I'll, I'll certainly give it a look. It's, it, it sounds like fun. For sure. Oh, cool. Always fun when a uh, little, little bit of uh, video game archaeology hits the headlines. I, I love game preservation. I, I love retro gaming, and especially when things like this, like, like scrapped demos and and tech demos and things like that are found. Um, I guess recently the uh, uh, demo seed for the one of the big Nintendo conferences in 1996 was found where they unveiled Ocarina of Time for the first time. And it had elements that were not used in the final game. Someone found the developer copy for that and recreated it in a ROM, in a ROM hack. And so you could play the the world demo version of Ocarina of Time now. Um, there's a couple others. Uh, the GoldenEye remaster for the Xbox 360 from GoldenEye 64 was recently uncovered from the Xbox Live Arcade version that was never released. Uh, that is now publicly available. And I got to say, it's a heck of a lot of fun. There's a couple glitched levels in there, especially the frigate is definitely not finalized because the water doesn't render and there's a couple other weird <laughs> things in there. But the game, other than that, is like 98% playable. It, it's there and you can go all the way through it. Uh, there's just a couple odd glitches in it. Uh, there's, gosh, what else has been uncovered lately? Uh, oh, StarCraft Ghost was uncovered for the original Xbox. Like GameCube. A, that was a GameCube uh, title. Uh, it was never released. StarCraft Ghost was was Duke Nukem Forever after Duke Nukem Forever was Duke Nukem Forever. It was right, the, yeah. the always promised but never delivered from Blizzard. Like they they promised it briefly after the launch of StarCraft, and then we got Brood War, and they said, "Oh yeah, and StarCraft Ghost is still coming. You're gonna yeah. play as a ghost and and you know break into facilities and fight Zerg and crap like that." And they promised it for like seven years. And then I it just kind of faded into, into obscurity. I used to go into the Babbage's at the mall. Mm -hmm. And they had like posters and material, like marketing material, like cardboard cutouts of StarCraft Ghost. Uh, 
like and i was always like well that'll be such a cool game you know yeah of course nothing ever but um i have a really good friend who ran a video rental store for a number of years i know uh <laughs> is he uh, mr video he's not mr video uh but he, he ran a video rental store for a number of years, a couple of them. Um, he has in his collection uh, not only a poster, but a production jacket for Star Wars Revenge of the Jedi. Yeah. Not Return of the Jedi. He has the poster that was a nice. pre-release production for advertising because it was a last second change to change it to Return of the Jedi because Revenge is not in a Jedi's, you know, mindset. Yeah, so they say. Right. No, that's that's cool. Yep. Yeah, there was a lot of games I, I waited a long time for that just like fizzled out. Yeah. Ghost is one that really sticks out. Um, I did look up a list of American breweries that are in the monastic tradition by monks. Okay. Um, and this list has one, two, three, four, five, six. However, like three of them are partnerships between the Abbey and like one of them, for example, is a partnership between the Abbey and Sierra Nevada brewing. Okay. So does that count? It's hard to say if it does exactly because you know, the true monk tradition of brewing. Right. The monks are brewing it to support themselves. Mm -hmm. So in that instance, there's at least uh, one in Arkansas, of all places. It's called Country <laughs> Monks Brewing. They, too, are Benedictine monks. Okay. Um, and then it's a potential uh one called saint benedict brewworks although reading the description and trying to look at their website it's unclear if, if it's like a monk monks thing. or just right because it says yeah. that it's a brewery and tap house on the grounds of a monastery gotcha they, and they cooperate with the sisters to so maybe it's not even monks it might be like a nunnery right um okay so it might be country monks brewing in Subaco, Subiaco, Arkansas, and the Benedictine Brewery in Mount Angel. So yep. we're in esteemed uh, company over here yeah. in the Pacific Northwest. All right, then. So there you go. Well, cool, cool. And on that bombshell, I think it's time to end in my best Jeremy Clark impression. Jeremy Clarkson <laughs> impression. Uh Thank you all so much for watching episode 236 here on Talking Heads every Wednesday night at 8 p.m. Pacific time for the latest in beer and tech news. Uh, make sure to like this video if you liked it. Subscribe to Craft Computing if you haven't done so already. Uh, if you like the content you see on this channel, want to help support us in what we do, consider joining the Patreon. Link is down in the video description. You'll get exclusive access to the Discord server where you can chat with myself, John, Rhett, Steve, all the co-hosts from Talking Heads, and take part in the awesome community that hangs out over there. Uh, Rhett, anything good to the order? Anything personal, professional? Nothing to you plug, plug too much, right. but if you uh, if you'd like to come and follow my dealings, I'm pretty active over on the old Twitter.com. 
Uh, you can find me at Rhett is awesome. R E T T is awesome. Uh, got a link tree there to. Oh yeah, yeah, exactly. Oh yeah, it's right there. How about it's been that? the whole time? Uh, <laughs> it's been like that for years, and I've just now noticed. So, I know. Uh, but yeah, there is a uh, links to all my all my works and things that I'm working on. The least of which is uh, not the least of which. Well, you know, not the least of which there is go. craft computer. There we go. So, uh, go check that out, and uh, I'll be looking forward to coming back on the show next time. Cool, cool. Uh, in another three months, I guess. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we'll see. We'll, we'll see what I feel like, you know? Yeah, yeah. It's hard to get him motivated to do anything these days. <laughs> Not like, until my bathroom break. He's first. all, pay me. <laughs> no. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, we do have a new video coming out probably tomorrow morning. I got approval from the advertisers, so we can drop that one. Uh, so that should be hitting sometime fairly early West Coast time, maybe 7 or 8 o'clock in the morning. So stay tuned for that. Uh, we'll probably have another video coming out on Saturday. So we're going to try to churn a couple out really quick. If he can get off his butt and take care of it anyway. No doubt. No doubt. Uh, and I think that's all we got. So we will see you same time, same channel next Wednesday, 8 p.m. Pacific. Cheers, all. Later, everyone. <laughs>